I'm so glad you came today. We're starting a new series called His Presence. It's going to be five weeks long. I'm very excited about this series. And as we get going, I thought I would just uh, right away uh, alert you to how to go deeper if something strikes a chord with you today or in the weeks to come. Uh, I want to just give you a, a pathway to just go much further. We're able to go in five little short sessions together. And that is this book by Adrian Rogers, The Power of His Presence. Uh, we're going to be dipping into pieces of it and um, going beyond it, as well as he will go beyond us as in some of this, these areas if you are interested. So you've got it there in the, uh, the power of his presence. We're basing uh, some of the concepts here. I want to open with a story that he tells about uh, college guys that uh, decided they wanted to have the college mascot uh, inside their dorm, and they wanted to smuggle this mascot into the dorm, which uh, created quite a ruckus because the mascot was a goat, which makes me wonder, and he didn't go into this, makes me wonder, is this a true story? I mean, what college has a goat as a mascot? So those of you who are into research, maybe you could decide, oh, no, there, there is a college with a goat as a mascot. You can let me know. But um, he then tells how there was this ruckus in the college because there was uh, a great uh, frustration among some and, and a joy on the others that they're going to actually just have this goat living in the guy's dorm. And I want to quote verbatim what the dialogue was between uh, these guys smuggling in the goat and some of the guys are, wait, wait, wait a minute. They said, but what about the smell? Someone asked. And the guys responded, the goat will just have to get used to it. <laughs> now, I, I think that's a, a really a great place to start because uh, we're going to be looking at how God set up this design throughout the Bible um, to draw near to us. And although a freshman college dorm is not the prettiest to smelling places, um, the God, he has to set up a scenario where he wants to draw near to us and he never gets used to our smell. And see, sin stinks. And sin is something God has never gotten used to. It's still abhorrent to him. And so for him to draw close to sin is what this series is all about. The extent to which he will go throughout history to draw near to us when we're the goat, so to speak, is an amazing story of the Bible. Now, by the way, you adults, you have a, a boring outline that you can take a look at. Kids, you should have, if you didn't already get one, you should have your outline that you can work on and uh, some crayons to help you with that. Um, God wants to be near. So just to get us thinking, along some really important lines, I have two questions, and I don't want you to answer out loud. I don't want you to raise your hand. I just want you to let it sink in and think your answer through inside of yourself. How many of you want to experience the presence of God? If God has gone, gone to such great lengths to draw near so that you can experience him and draw close to him, how many of you want to experience 
his presence. And the second question is much like it. How many of you would like to experience his presence more frequently and more meaningfully? More frequently and more meaningfully. So you kind of have to be honest with yourself about this because I do run into a lot of folks that believe in God, but if they're really honest, they're not doing much about seeking his presence as if they really mean it. And so when I put up a book, hey, if you really want to go deeper, here's a book you can take a look at. Maybe some of you already checked out. Eh, that sounds like work. But what if the payoff is really dramatic and you're going to draw near and experience more meaningfully and perhaps more frequently the presence of God and what that might mean. And I'm hoping to just whet your appetite a little bit to consider that possibility. Now, this is an incredibly important series if you think about how much God wants to draw near to us. If you know the whole story of the Bible, he must want it very much to the extent that he goes to take care of our sin problem so that we can be in his presence and his presence could be with us. And so this is really, really important. So my theme verse for the entire series, and we're gonna be in this five weeks, my theme verse for the entire series, our theme verse, is 1 Chronicles 16, 11, reads, seek the Lord and his strength, seek his presence continually. Now, we've been teaching this around here using many different methods to teach this. One of the ways that we've been teaching this is devote daily. We went through five practices and talked about the five practices that we need to devote daily. And the reason for that is it's, there's a payoff. If we devote ourselves daily to the pursuit of his presence, we are going to begin to experience his presence more frequently and more meaningfully. And one of our core statements, we say, do first things first, and we discover we're supposed to seek his kingdom first. And the seeking is daily and throughout the day, and we're gonna experience his presence in a dramatic way. Now, <clears throat> let's begin this concept way back in the history of God's, the great extent that he'll go to. 1,500 years before Jesus, we already see that God is going to great extent to draw near to people. And so point number one is his presence in the prototype. Some of us don't use the word prototype very often. We're talking about his presence in the model. The model which isn't the real thing, but it's a picture of the real thing. The pattern, it isn't actually the completed thing, but it's the pattern for the, the thing that is a pattern of. And so he first set up this prototype, this pattern uh, for his presence to dwell real closely with his people. In Exodus 25, verse eight, we read, they are to make a sanctuary for me so that I may dwell among them. Now, I'm not gonna tell you why, but I have this aversion to call the place of worship sanctuary. We call this the auditorium on purpose, and uh, you have to just think about that. Where is the sanctuary? And think that through a little bit. I'm gonna let you muddle that over for a bit. Before we go any further, I have something here I'd like to do as you watch, and maybe it'll work. 
In the prototype that God set up in the wilderness after he released the people of God from bondage in Egypt, the story of Exodus just dramatically slows down. And if you're not really paying attention, you'd think it's getting boring. But it's really not getting boring. It's teaching. And it's instructing not just the people then, but all the people of God from that time forward forever on what God is like and what God is after and what he's doing, this model and this prototype. And I just want to point out that um, this sanctuary was called the tabernacle first because it was a mobile version of where God was going to place his presence in his midst of his people. And this sanctuary, this tent called the tabernacle, this mobile version, had to be mobile because they were in the desert moving about. And it had a structure that was a precise pattern, a precise model that was given to Moses. And so as you're reading Exodus, you're going chapter after chapter with these details after a very exciting deliverance story with miracle and plagues and power of God, and then you slow down into... a meticulous description of a blueprint. And you're just going, what is going on here? But we need to understand the blueprint. So you've got these outer four walls and you've got this inner tent and the inner tent is divided into two sections and in the front section of the inner tent there was a lamp. It didn't look like this. It was actually to be a very heavy golden lamp stand with all these three arms on each side sticking out with one arm right up the middle and all these oil lamps lit in the presence of God and the priests were to tend to this all night long. Make sure that the oil doesn't go out. Make sure that the lamp doesn't go out. Right in front of the main entrance to the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. So there's a prototype. In Exodus 25, as we continue, verse 9, you must make it according to all that I show you, the pattern of the tabernacle as well as the pattern of all its furnishings. Now let's jump 1,500 years later to an explanation of things that talk about the reality more than the pattern. We're going to get smoke in here if I don't tend to this and do my priestly function. Uh, Hebrews 9.24 reads, For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with hands, only a model of the true one, but into heaven itself, so that he might now appear in the presence of God for us. That's a huge statement, and to give it justice, I would have to spend a lot of time, and we don't have that time this morning. All that to say, the temporary tabernacle, which eventually became the permanent temple, which itself is still just a model and a pattern. In the promised land, the land itself was just a model and a pattern of the reality. The reality was heaven, our promised land, God's presence in reality and how that works for the people of God. And that's what we're talking about today as we describe his presence, and what this relationship looks like as we marvel at who he is and join with him. 
So since we jumped the 1,500 years from Moses' day with an explanation of this pattern is pointing to a greater reality, let's make another huge leap and go further. Point number two, his presence in Jesus. His presence in Jesus. We're gonna go to John's explanation right at the beginning of his gospel and he starts to explain all about Jesus. John tells us, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Now, when you're just reading John for the first time, you have no idea what he's talking about, and if you're really cluing in, you start to get an idea later, and if you're really sharp, you might get an idea even in the first chapter in verse 14 when he says this, the word became flesh. Okay, he's not just talking about a spoken communication, he's talking about a communication to mankind through a person. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Now I've highlighted for you dwelt among us on purpose because I've said this before here, if you've been with us for a while, you probably could even say it in the Greek but I won't test you on that. The word in the Greek there is skene, dwelt among us. It means tented, tabernacled, tabernacled in a tent with us. Jesus, the word of God, who was with God from eternity past and was himself God, came to earth in an earthly tent called the body. And he tented in a body in our midst. So he takes on a mobile version of a tabernacle, in the form of his body. Now, you might think, I sure am stretching things, but let's just go to the very next chapter and you'll see what I mean. This is from Jesus himself. He he says something that stirred quite a ruckus because people didn't understand what he was saying, and even the disciples didn't understand until after his resurrection, and that's what John 2 tells us. Verse 18 we read, so the Jews replied to him. Now, what Jesus has just done is he cleansed the temple. Now, I believe there was two temple cleansing events at the beginning of his ministry and towards the end of his ministry. This is the early one that sets the tone. He cleansed the temple and they said, what authority do you have to do this? And what sign will you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. Therefore, the Jews said, this temple took 46 years to build. Now, some of you are building a house right now. It feels just like that. You know, it's like, it's really tough to build right now. All right? Uh, This this temple took 46 years to build, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, so we get sneak peeks from John even before he describes the events. It's like you get this foreshadowing of what's coming and we already figured this out after the fact. You just need to know from the front at the beginning, he is God in the flesh. He is the tabernacle in our midst. He's God's presence. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the statement Jesus had made. So we've been talking about the prototype with God's presence in this sanctuary was just a building, at first the mobile version, then the fixed version, but it's all just a pattern of something in a greater reality, and then Jesus arrives and he's the greater reality, but then there's a greater reality still, and now we're ready for the main point, and that's point number three. The main point is this, his presence in you. 
And this is what the whole story of the Bible is all about. And the rest of our series is all about this to understand what it means to experience his presence in us, which was not experienced until Jesus' finished, victorious work on the cross and through his resurrection. John 16, 7 reads, Nevertheless, I am telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. Now, I just need to tell you that if you're reading John chapter 14 through 16, it's very clear that he's talking about the Holy Spirit. So read that, it'll become clear. He talks about the spirit of truth and and on and on he goes. He's talking about this counselor's got to come, but for him to come, I got to leave. And he's, he's describing that. By the way, why would it be important and better for them? I mean, if you were a disciple, you go, what? That doesn't sound better. It sounds worse. If you leave, no, 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 you stay. But Jesus knows for them to experience the spirit in them is better than his presence in a bodily form in their midst. Why? He can only be in bodily form in one place at one time. But through his spirit now, in us, he can be in us globally, in a global movement, and he will never leave us or forsake us. He's with us all the time. So it is better if he ministers at the right hand of the Father while his presence is in us. So if I go, I will send him to you. Now just in case you think I'm stretching things and whacking things around, Paul agrees. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, don't you yourselves know that you are God's temple and that the spirit of God lives in you? Really? Yeah. So whatever you do to your body, just make sure you understand that you're doing it to something that's been purchased by the blood of Jesus. You are not your own. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Now, let's start packaging this together and interweaving these themes together a little bit. So the grand object lesson, the tabernacle, which became the fixed temple, um, actually points to Jesus. But then we have to ask some questions. So if it's really a precise model, where exactly, maybe you'd never ask this, where exactly is the presence of the Spirit in this model? The presence of God. And it gets a little bit interesting when you ask that question because in the model itself, you got the Ark of the Covenant, you got the presence of the glory of God in the Shekinah glory cloud right in the most holy place and you have some emblems and symbols in the next room and then you have sacrifices in the outside room which is a room with four walls but the outer courtyard where the sacrifice takes place. It's rather interesting Is this pattern a pattern that reflects God himself? I mean, that's a question worth asking because we, if you study scripture rather carefully, meticulously all throughout the Bible, let us make man in our image. There's a plural nature of God in which he makes husband and wife, man and woman, and relationship in such a way he created them, he in his image. 
And then we ask the question, so when the Spirit of God resides inside of us, is our being also a house with three rooms? Do we follow the pattern of the temple itself, which follows the pattern of God himself? And those are just questions that we have to kind of speak tentatively on. Theologians are in disagreement. Some of them will battle you with you saying that human beings are dichotomous. And they're believers. They think of human beings have made up of two parts, the immaterial, unseen part, soul, spirit being kind of the, the same. You did even put soul, spirit, heart, mind, will, emotions as the, as the interior part of who we are. And then the exterior part, the material part would be body. It'd be a little bit like thinking of ourselves in, this wouldn't have worked in ancient days, but the interior part is the software. The exterior part is the hardware required to run the software, right? And that um, that could be a a way of looking at things. In fact, there's a validity in, in just those categories, the unseen and the seen, right? In fact, there's a validity even as it relates to when one dies, um, from Paul's perspective, the unseen part leaves the seen part and we are immediately with God in heaven, right? But then other theologians would say, no, 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 there's three parts. And so I want to consider the three parts concept. So we'd be asking the question, okay, so the Spirit of God lives in the temple, yes, but is there specifics about in which room and how it functions? Now, I just made a blunder there because I said it. And I need to make sure you understand, if I say it, I'm talking about his presence, but if I'm talking about the Spirit himself, I have to say he. Because the New Testament is very clear over and over again, and sometimes even contradicting grammar to make sure you understand the Spirit of God himself is a person in the Trinity. Jesus is a person, the Spirit of God is a person, God the Father is a person, Father, Son, Spirit are personal in nature, but one being, God. Now, if I were to make up a God, it wouldn't be so complex. Because I would rather us to be able to understand it all. But this is not made up. God is complex, okay? And I believe that the Trinity concept, as hard as it is for us to understand, is actually the reality. And here we have the question, so is there a reality about where the Spirit indwells the original pattern? And now, if that's so, where is the Spirit in us if we're the counterpart pattern, okay? So, let's just go down the track of the possibility of a threefold nature of humanity. 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sure seems like there's three fold nature of humanity described by Paul to the Thessalonians. And corresponding, in Hebrews 4.12 we read, for the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit. So if the, the, the word of God can 
penetrate separating soul and spirit, then it's divisible. It's not the one thing, which is interesting to me. Joints and marrow, it is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now, if this is so, that we are three parts, I'm just saying if, and I, me, I, I find value there, and it's helpful for me to try to understand how I work there, and I'm going to share that with you, okay? In Proverbs 20, 27, and I'm going to read it a little bit differently. It's on the screen. This is the NIV. The human spirit is the lamp of the Lord that sheds light on one's inmost being. So if that is true, I just want to read a quote. Um, I'm quoting me, but I won't be able to say it otherwise, right? A lamp in those days was fed with oil. Our human spirit is like a lamp, and God's spirit inhabiting our human spirit fuels our spirit, illuminating and giving direction to our soul. I'm giving you a lot of information fast, but this is intro. We've got five weeks. Our soul is mind, will, and emotions, which in turn leads and gives direction to our body. I'm going to read that again. Just let it settle in. A lamp in those days was fed with oil. Kind of like this one, but didn't look like this. I gave the kids a more accurate uh, clay lamp down here, which we are clay lamps. And yet, it was a golden lampstand in the temple, but also fed by oil. Now, just a little bit about oil. <laughs> in the Old Testament, just a whole bunch fast, oil always represented the presence of the Spirit. And so when you uh, anointed a priest, you're anointing the priest uh, visually, symbolically, and actually palpably, you can feel the anointing take place in oil representing that the Spirit of God is upon them. When you're anointing a king to be king, you would anoint them with oil to be king. And then when they're waiting for the anointed Messiah, they're waiting for the Messiah who would be fully anointed by the Spirit of God. So when we're talking about the Christ who is to come, we're talking about the one who is fully anointed by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is in him. Okay? So anointing and oil is really, really important. By the way, if you run your light and life apart from the oil, what are you burning? The wick. It's a quick formula for burnout in any ministry endeavor. The only way you really burn well and correctly is by the fuel which comes from the grace of God through the Spirit of God in our lives. That's what ministry really is. Anytime you run outside of that pattern. Now, first of all, next week we're going to talk about, next week we're talking about what does it mean to be saved, okay? And we're going to talk about the person who is not saved versus the person who is saved so the categories are saved or lost and there's a line of demarcation when you move from being lost which another word for it is dead spiritually you move from being dead spiritually living outside of and apart from the presence of God you move across the line in a reality when the spirit enters into your life and begins to fuel your life with the glory of God which is now penetrated your being and he shines when before here's what happens when you're not saved 
you run your life without your spirit being alive. It's called being spiritually dead. And from a scriptural definition, that means you're separate from God. And when you're separate from God, the way you run your life is with your mind, if you're kind of a rational soul, or your emotions, if you're one of the feely types. I feel like doing this today. I feel like doing this today. Right now, I feel like doing this. And your mind says, no, don't. Oh, I'm doing it anyway, because I feel like doing this. Right? Mind, will, and emotions. Some people just grit. I'm just going to do it. But I dare you to introspect and think through your life and recognize that you've never been an internal conflict. We are a bundle of conflicts. We discover that we're doing something we, in our minds, say we really shouldn't do. Where do we get the idea, shouldn't, shouldn't? Every culture has it. We really shouldn't do this, but for whatever reason, maybe our body is taking charge. No, we're going to do this, and we're just totally overrun by urges, where our mind says, no, 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 danger, danger, danger. Or even your emotions are overruling, and you just live out, and you're conflicted. We're a bundle of conflicts while we're not fully engaged and alive. And when we're living this out, it is lights out. It's like my birthday cakes. And lights out, and you've probably seen this in lots of different places, is out of order. Okay? Let's put it where it deserves to be hung. Out of order. How many times have you looked at somebody and you know something's out of order? They're like, they have issues. Rather than doing this, we need to go, I have issues. Right? I'm out of order. I can't seem to live out this thing that I want to live out. It's all messed up. Well, the reason why it's all messed up is we don't know how we're supposed to be functioning. We're supposed to be functioning with the Holy Spirit of God, illuminating and causing our human spirit to come alive and give direction to our mind, our will, and our emotions, which then give direction to the hardware. And then we give glory to God with our thoughts, with our actions, with our words, and we shine for God's glory. Summary, we've covered a lot fast. God wants to live closely with you. Jesus made this possible. This series will help you to experience his presence more frequently and more meaningfully. Start practicing now. Devote daily. Seek him daily. Make some new practices now throughout this series because I tell you what, experiencing the presence of God is not like a light switch go boom, whoa, I've got it all. It's like he grows us and helps us to understand. And when I say experiencing, I'm not just talking about feelings. I'm talking about your life 
starts to look like it's in order. You're able to do things you weren't able to do. The things that were all out of order start to be addressed. Things start to come together for you. What you didn't want to do before because you knew you wanted to do this other stuff starts to change because you're seeking his presence and he is helping things come back together where your spirit with the empowerment and anointing of the Holy Spirit is now giving direction to your mind, giving direction to your will, giving direction to your emotions. So many times I don't feel like doing something but I spend time with God and my feelings change. My thoughts change. My life is making changes and steps. I'm so excited about this series. I'm so glad you came. I hope you want to come back next week. As we look at the details of what does it mean to be saved. Today we talked about the place of his presence and that place, according to his desire, is you. He wants you to be the place of his presence and we'll be talking more about that in weeks to come. We have a prayer team to the left of the stage. We'd love to pray with you about anything, any needs you might have. Uh, Leaders, if you wouldn't mind helping me with that, just come on over and help us to be praying. Um, And then see you next week. God bless. Thanks for being here.